0: Did you all have a good time at the uh, women's conference? Yes, maybe not all of you, but perhaps all of you in one way or another. My name's Jeremy. Welcome here. We're delighted you're here to worship with us. We're continuing our series in the book of Philippians today. This is the third sermon. And if you're just joining us, I'll give you a little review. And if you're, you've been here every week, it may help as well. And so basically, this is where we've been. We said that the theme of Philippians, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that we call a book, is to find our place in Christ. We need to figure out who we are in Him. As a result, the first day we sort of looked at these very specific things, particularly we called ourselves servants of Jesus Christ, and that often sounds like Christianese, but we tried to translate that a little bit and say, what does that mean? Well, that means finding our place in Christ finds us locating our identity here's a slide locating our identity and our location and our future all in him and as a result once we have located our identity our location and our future in him we see that this confidence this was the theme for that day this confidence in god's work he who is faithful to uh complete it in you you know in god's work fuels us to move forward. Then the next week we looked at uh, the following passage, verses 12 through 26, and we saw that God put us here for a reason. We looked specifically at the term put, and we realized from that that as a result, because God has put you where you are, we should leverage or use our circumstances as a springboard or means or mechanism to advance the gospel the purposes of God are to move forward his kingdom in in terms of the good news or the gospel and therefore our purpose is to advance the gospel as well so in summary then what you could sort of say is we as servants of the high king have the opportunity to advance the mission and that's the first two sermons or first two sections of this book But what we realize when we read the next few verses is the beauty of it is it's not just me alone, but it's us together. So as servants as a high king with the desire to advance the mission of the good news of God's work, we do it together. So the third thing or today's sermon is basically the Apostle Paul calling on the people of God as citizens of the kingdom of God to strive to live out the purposes of God. Or the purposes of the king together. So today's theme, we're gonna skip ahead to the theme slide. Today's theme is this that we should live out. This would have been last week's theme. There's a there hopefully is a next week's theme. There we go. Live out the purposes of the king together. The together part's a big piece of what we're saying today, so I don't want to lose that. It's one thing to say live out the purposes of the king. But we're not doing it in isolation or by ourselves. We do it together. So with that said, we'll live it out in two different ways. One is in our personal conduct. And two is in community. And when I say community, I'm not necessarily speaking about the Midland or Mid-Michigan area. I'm talking about the community or ecclesia, the called out followers, the gathering of Jesus Christ. So the community of the church is the shortest way to say it. Here's Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Verses 27, it says 18, this is, let's go to verse 27, we're skipping the 18 slide. Verse 27 through 30, and uh, last week I kind of double dipped, I did last week's passage and then got into a little bit of this week, so I just left, I'm focusing on the part that I didn't cover last week. So this is Philippians 1, uh, verses 27 through 30. It says this, That you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as you know, if you've been with us up until now, I've been hammering really hard on this citizenship theme. Uh, Here's a slide and a picture of that area of Philippi that we talked about earlier, where the big battle took place between the empire and the republic, the forces of Mark Anthony and Octavian and Brutus and Cassius. And if you remember, what happened was Mark Anthony and Octavian won, and they gave the italic right to the to uh, people who would come and live in the area of Philippi. So that, that citizenship became a really big thing. These folks who lived in Philippi were given special privileges, exemption from taxes, and stuff like that. So, what happens then is when you see the apostle writing to these people who take great pride in their citizenship, who are ultra patriotic, ultra loyal, former soldiers, etc., he's going to try to convince them that what is even greater than your earthly citizenship is your heavenly citizenship. What should be even bigger than your loyalty to the state is your loyalty to. To the kingdom of God. So we're not there yet, but let me just jump ahead and show you this then. In chapter 3, verse 20, this comes out very explicitly, but it'll come out today as well. and I'll show you. But here's what the Apostle Paul says on this slide. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Even though you think you're citizens here, the, the big thing is your allegiance and loyalty to Christ and his kingdom. And it's from heaven that we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, dropping that to the back of your mind, we pick up again in verse 27 of today's text, and it begins out, and it begins, and it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Now, that may not jump off the page to you or pop right away, but what actually happens is, let your manner of life be worthy is one word in the original language. And that word, listen carefully, you may hear something in it, is politomai. Politomai. If you translated it literally, it would be citizenize, and thus the citizen theme comes up again. But it's the same word, listen carefully, you'll get some of these. Politomai comes from the original root, police. The Greek word polis actually means city. It is the same root from which we get polites, which would be politics, and other words of the sort. So essentially, what you're looking at when you talk about politics or policy or police or citizenship, it's all coming from the original, same word in the original language, which I, uh, brings out the idea of your 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 loyalty to your state or your community, and so what's really cool is here in this spot where you don't see it in English. Underneath that text, the Apostle Paul is hitting on that really hard for these people who live here in Philippi, and he's saying, "Hey, citizenize, police." Polythei live, conduct yourself within your community in a way that will be worthy of the high calling of your real community, the upward calling of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you remember, we talked about the gospel a little bit, and we, as you know, individualistic New Testament American Christians, like to say, you know, the gospel is kind of me and my decision for Christ. And really, what he's saying is. Yeah, there is this part about the gospel and you, but there's also this bigger picture too that includes not only you, but everyone everywhere in the entire world. It is the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is not just located or limited specifically to a single individual, but it includes everything. And that's actually good news, and that's really good news, because we who struggle with sin and pain and fear and doubt and stuff in our politics and in our cities and our communities that isn't good, we want that all to be fixed by the one who actually can. And thus, our ultimate allegiance is there. So, to these people and to us, the Apostle Paul is saying, live as citizens, politimi, politicize. Let's not get political and care signs and wear t-shirts, but remember, your ultimate allegiance is not to the United States of America, but to the kingdom of God. That's where your heart should be. So, look how this plays out then, again, in that same text that I just read to you. Verses uh, 20 through 21 in chapter 3. Here's a slide. I know I'm skipping ahead, but this will help you with this passage. It says, our citizenship is in heaven. So that has all kinds of implications. You know, if my state tells me to do something that's unethical or immoral or against the kingdom principles, then I can choose to disregard that law on the premise that I am part of a higher kingdom and a higher law. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior. We're awaiting the return of the King. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll do two things. Number one, he transforms our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him. Wonderful. I'm really excited about that. (laughs) I can't wait to get everything fixed on me that's broken. That's going to be good. And not only me and my body, but also everything else. He will subject all things to himself. That's when everything is good, and we no longer have to worry about government shutdowns or anything else. The government is good. It's in Christ. So... The calling here to conduct yourselves or live as citizens is essentially citizenize or conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ. A couple more words that are kind of fun in here. The one is worthy. This comes from the Greek word means ac- which is axis, which basically means balanced in a way so as to keep your kingdom priorities first. We'll kind of hit on this a little bit later, but we know, especially in our community, in our lifestyle, how difficult it is to remain balanced. Is it difficult to remain balanced? I think so. There's all kinds of stuff pulling at us and wanting our time all the time. This is a struggle that we have to keep the kingdom values first, and so you will see that idea of struggle show up in several places Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, let your manner of life be, and that's the polydemy piece, worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then verse 27 continues, and it says, striving side by side. Now, the idea of striving here, let me show you where else that word shows up. It's also It's only like five times in the whole New Testament, so it's actually kind of a cool word. You'll recognize it here in just a minute, I promise. It shows up in this verse as striving. This is what you're to do for the gospel. You're to strive. It also shows up in chapter 4, verse 3. It's speaking of a couple ladies, and it says, those who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. There's again the striving side by side. Then in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, it shows up like this. You endured a hard struggle. The word struggle is the same Greek word with suffering so we have striving and laboring and suffering and struggling this is what it's going to take to advance the gospel do you know what this Greek word is yet it's actually aflato Oh, here's the Hebrew or here's the Greek word in second Timothy chapter 5 same word these are the other two occurrences An athlete is not crowned unless he competes, there's a noun and a verb form, according to the rules. In other words, the Christian life, as Paul is prone to do, is just described like a real struggle, like that of an athlete, of pushing against the weights, of fighting against the other team, of enduring pain, of going through training, of blood, sweat, and tears. Welcome to the Christian life. (laughs) Here you are, you want to conduct yourself worthily, it's not going to be easy, you don't get to sit on the couch, it's not a day off, instead it is a struggle, it is an effort. Anyone who's been around for any time whatsoever knows that life is not easy, in the Christian life especially so. Well then, what is one to do? Simply up to me to struggle on, loyal and faithful, all by myself? No, by no means. Verse 27 clearly spells it out and says, look, you struggle, you strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. In other words, this struggle that we're going through is a group effort. This high calling, this purpose of the king cannot be accomplished in and of itself the other day I was watching a football movie, I kind of like those football movies for some reason, the grit and the underdog and all that, and I remember the coach specifically, this was the movie Greater, which by the way is great, if you want to see a great movie, watch Greater, it is awesome, so we were watching this movie Greater, and the coach is talking to this underdog, this sort of underprivileged guy who's struggling, and he says, hey look, I know you want to get a look, but the reality is losing teams don't get a lot of attention. It's going to be hard for someone to notice you as long as your whole team is losing. It's still a team sport. In order to get noticed, you're going to have to win. And the idea here of an athlete is that it's still a team sport no matter what you do. Even if you're like an individual track winner, you're not going to win that race unless you got a good coach and a good trainer and a good support system all piled around you in order to make it possible for you to move forward. It's still a team sport. Athleo, it is a struggle. It's real. It's yours and it's mine. It's ours together. And there's no way we can do this by ourselves. Thus, the you and yours in this passage. If you read this same passage again, verses 27 through 30, let me show you something. This is something that all the folks from down south will like. But the reality is this there are a number of yous and yours and they are all in the second person plural every single one of them so it's not you individually like we think of but it is ustedes or you all it is every single one of you as a group so let's read it again and hear that as we read the you all or the y'alls that the apostle paul uses address the Philippians he says and let your that is your collective whole manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you all or whether I'm absent I may hear that you all or all of you are standing firm in one spirit listen to all this stuff in standing firm one spirit one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel Clearly, this struggle, this effort, this conduct that we are trying to live out as citizens of the high king is not to be done in isolation. We are to do it together. So live out the purposes of God. Yes, that's the theme. But number one, conduct yourself. And number two, do it in community. So let me give you a little um, help with that this morning. Uh, one of my preaching professors once said that uh, one of the reasons that in- people don't grow is because they don't have enough vitamin A. Do you know what vitamin A is? It's application. <laughs> Let me give you a little application this morning that will hopefully help you in this. Because I know I've been sitting here hammering citizenship and and you know your high calling and being worthy of the gospel and hanging together. And that's all well and good. But how do you bring it down and say, okay, now, pastor, how do I do that? (laughs) Like, I agree with those concepts. Tell me some specifics. Give me some necessary next steps that I can do today, tomorrow, this week, and Saturday. In the next couple moments, I'm going to give you that. Even next Saturday night, I'm going to tell you what to do. I know that's a little bit (laughs) aggressive. and I don't always do that. Sometimes I'll let you apply it to yourself. But let me be very specific. This morning, So, vitamin A, number one, if you want to be in community, you have to be in community. <laughs> make community a priority. Make the community of your local church a priority. Yay, make your worship service a priority. Now, you guys are the early risers, and you're here at first service, so perhaps I'm preaching to the choir. I don't know, but I'm going to give you some very specific steps that you can do to help this happen. If you do this, by the way, let me also warn you up front that the adversary, the enemy, the devil, will take note. <laughs> you don't get to just say, okay, sweet, I'm gonna, you know, get this New Year's resolution and I'm gonna get things lined up and my priorities going to be kingdom priorities and it's gonna be smooth. No. no, no. <laughs> Once that good stuff begins to happen, you will feel the wind in your face, you will experience opposition. There will be struggles. So let's say, for example, that you decide to make Sunday morning worship a priority. This is a corporate experience that we all have. We're made to be worshipers, and there's something very special about coming together as a group. You decide to do that. Well, What's going to happen? That's the day, you know, that your car is going to break down, your tire is going to be flat, your kids are going to get sick. You know, I mean, stuff's going to happen that morning. It is almost inevitable. It seems like we go through our week, and this happens to us as a ministry family, and we're trying to get out the door and whatever else, and it's always Sunday morning that's like the worst day ever (laughs) to try to get out the door. Why is that? Well, because it's Sunday morning. The devil doesn't want you to go to church, and he's going to do everything he can to stop it. So you have to be strategic, you have to be proactive, you have to be super aggressive if you're gonna accomplish this goal. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm gonna make Sunday morning a priority. It's another thing to say, no, really, I'm gonna make it there on Sunday morning, because as soon as you say that, <laughs> things gonna get in the way. So here's some ideas. This is some of the things that we do and some of the things we're striving to do in our attempt to make Sunday morning a priority. Let me give you an example. If, if you have a big meeting at work the next day, you're probably not going to stay out late and party the night before, right? You're going to go to bed early. You're going to get everything lined up. You're going to have your briefcase by the door and your suit coat hanging up and your tie already picked out and your plane tickets are on the counter and everything's set because you are ready to go. And you've got to make that flight. And you don't want to miss it and blah, blah, blah. So you're intentional about it. Well, what happens on Saturday night and Sunday morning? Saturday night, people are like, ooh, sweet, no work tomorrow. We got time for a movie. Hey, it's almost midnight. No worries. I've been wanting to see this for a long time. I can take some extra coffee on Sunday morning. i will be all right, you know? And then I come, and you guys, not all of you, but sometimes people look like this. I'm thinking, yeah, what movie did you watch last night? <laughs> Was it good? <laughs> Tell me about it you got to be careful. you got to be intentional. It's easy to let things creep up and get in the way. So for our family, one of the things that we do is we always try really hard to limit our activities on Saturday night. I mean, there's invitations, there's opportunities, there's stuff. But we want to be home at a good time in order to get a good bedtime. And we're not staying out late on Saturday. Now, of course, I work here, and that makes a difference for me, obviously. But it makes a big difference for our family as well. My wife's got to get three little kids out the door, and that is not easy. She's basically a single mom on Sunday morning. <laughs> and so we intentionally block off Saturday nights. We pick out our clothes the night before. We try to get a good night's sleep. We set alarm with enough time built in for a buffer because we know there's probably something that's going to happen. So we build in. We think it needs 5, 10 minutes. That means build in 20, 25 minutes build in a little buffer, and then here's here's the really crazy one. I know this is going to get you out of your comfort zone a little bit. So we've blocked off Saturday night. We've picked out our clothes the night before. We've got a good night's sleep. We've set our alarm. The next thing we do is arrive on time, and are you ready for this? Move in and move up. (laughs) Move in and move up. And I know you're sitting there looking at me like, yeah, good one. (laughs) No, really, last week in the second service, we actually had to ask the people to move in because there weren't weren't enough seats on the aisle. I know, I like to be, you know, kind of on the aisle. I can make my way out or whatever, but like the middle section's got a lot of openings, and we're not making room for our guests, and we're creating an environment that's not always welcoming. We need to be intentional about what we're doing so we can accomplish worship on Sunday morning, and one of the ways you do so is to be intentional about the night before, Get there the day of, and then move in and move up. Now, let me tell you a little secret. Some of you don't realize this. In, in class, what happens is a lot of times you're like, I don't want to sit on the front row because the teacher always sees the guys on the front row, and he's surely going to call on them. But the reality is the way our stage is set up, here's a little inside information. Just because it's flat like this, I look over the first three or four rows in the front. That means I see you, <laughs> and I see you. But to see you and you and you, I have to go like this. And I don't always do that. My natural eye goes out four, five, six rows, and that's the people I see when I'm just looking straight. So if you don't want to be seen, the place to hide out is not the back rows. I can see you. <laughs> the place to hide out is right here because I naturally look over that. And I'm telling you, it, it's true. It's not just me trying to bring you know seats in for whatever. It's really the truth. I look over the first few rows and I see about two-thirds of the way back or maybe halfway as my main focal point. So if you want to hide out, get here early and get to the front row. These are the trickiest seats to see on Sunday morning. Now, earlier I said my wife was a single mom. She obviously has me, but not on Sundays. But this is what gives me this little tip. Um, it's really hard for single moms to get to church on Sunday. I mean, it's really hard. And so if you're a single mom, here's something you can do. You can ask somebody in our church for help. Now, you may not want to just wander up to someone, but after you've walked around for a little bit, you can see who is a quality person here. And there's a number of them who I think if you actually said, hey, I need help with this. Can you X, Y, Z? I think they would say yes. I'm so bold as to say that if you're a single mom, it's a little bit, you know, strike of an of a assault to your pride, but you might need to ask for help. Just ask. Say, hey, can you help? I'm having trouble. Help me out here. And you say, the reason I want to go is to get to church. I think there's an opportunity for you there. Now, let me come at it from the other way. I also know not only are there are single moms, but there's also a lot of empty nesters in our congregation. Yes, I see you too. (laughs) Empty nesters, here's a way you can help. Some of the times I hear empty nesters say to me, oh, we just don't feel connected anymore because we don't have kids. And when our kids were involved, man, we were plugged in and we're rubbing shoulders with all their friends' parents. And now it's just like, I don't know, just come and go. You don't have kids? get some. Get some. We got lots of them. I know where you can find three for free. <laughs> get some. I'm, I'm actually serious. This is crazy. I know this is a bit over the edge. You can apply it to your life however you want. But imagine, imagine if you went to a single mom and you said, hey, I want to make your life a little bit better. Just a little bit. I want to give you a chance to worship God without worrying on Sunday mornings. I know you worry a lot during the week, so I'm going to prevent you from worrying on Sundays. If you want to go to the 9 o'clock service, I'm going to show up at your house at 8.15. I'm going to give you from 8.15 to 8.45, 30 minutes of free babysitting. That's it. And I will watch your kids long enough for you to do your hair. And you can come to church on Sunday morning feeling pretty and not worry about it. Man, wouldn't that be a blessing? If you could go over there every Sunday, even if it's not every Sunday, it's one Sunday a month. Hey, that's one Sunday that she doesn't have to worry. She has time to do her hair and might even paint her nails too. And then if you wanted to go the extra step, you say, okay, put me on your sign-in sheet at kids check, and I'll drop them off for you. And then you take her kids away from her and you check them in to kids check. And what does she do? No, she has two free hands. She'd never experienced that before in her life. She might actually go like this. Hi, good morning. My name's so-and-so. It's nice to meet you. How are you? You've just given her the opportunity to connect, and now you are walking through the kid zone, seeing all this energy and excitement and yada yada that you don't get to usually experience, and you're both in a totally different hemisphere. Could be a great experience. Maybe that's something you want to try. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. But at the end of the day, you make corporate worship a priority. You know that it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle for them and it's going to be a struggle for you. Imagine trying to help each other out along the way. All of a sudden, you got two little grandkids that love you to death that you're happy to see every Sunday morning. How do you think you're going to feel about Sunday morning? A lot different. You're excited, you're like, woo woo, I get to go see so-and-so. They might even ride with you if you bring in an old car seat or something. That could be fun. And what would happen if one day her car didn't start, and then you came and dropped off the kids, and you didn't say anything, and you and some of your buddies from small church decided to run back during the second service, I give you permission, fix her car, come back, don't say anything, And then go home afterwards and say, I don't know, why don't we just pray over it? (laughs) Go to the other side. (laughs) Lay your hands on it and see, open it up, see what happens. That would be cool. Here's an opportunity. I'm just making stuff up using my imagination. You can probably do even better. At the end of the day, we're in it together. You want to conduct yourself worthy of the high calling of Jesus Christ and live as a citizen of the kingdom of God? Help a brother out. Do it we have to live out the purposes of the kingdom together now let me give you one other uh, there, we'll go back to that other slide guys I just saw it because that's a good reminder uh, for me there's another way too. if you want to learn more about worship we have a class coming up in the uh, next couple weeks where Dan Hickman who is the leader of our worship arts leadership team the guy who organizes all this puts it together the science people their task and tries to draw in you know lots of different strings. He and I will be uh, talking a little bit about worship uh, as a whole on a Wednesday evening, right during the time of the uh, activities. Then, so you can drop someone off and come enjoy the class. That's one thing, but that's another thing you can do. But on the whole, the purpose that the thing that I'm trying to get out today is that we live out our lives, uh, the purposes of the king together. So let me give you a little reminder and then we'll close. I think this will be kind of fun. Uh, this, before we show the slide, this letter is written to the people in the city of Philippi who is named after Philip, the father of Alexander the Great, here's a picture of his bust, very good, here's here's a picture of him. Um, He is famous for a number of things, and one of them was this, this military strategy, you may have, you've seen it before, you just may not know what it's called, called the phalanx. And modern, you know, riot police and everyone still uses it, it's basically taking advantage of the principle of cohesion. So you get a large group of soldiers, and you stick them right next to each other really tight, and then you put shields there so that if anything comes their way, it's blocked, and then you stick really long pikes or poles out in front of them, and if anything is in their way, it gets destroyed. It's essentially an ancient tank. There's armor all around it, and there's weapons protruding out, you know, and if the front line goes down, you can see the next guys right behind them or just right there to fill in the blank. So they march forward as one entity crushing their opponents across Macklin Field. I mean, the field of battle. So, let me drive this home for you Michigan types. Um... Philip, the Great, was the ruler who preceded Alex. Or sorry, Philip II, the ruler who preceded Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great led what empire? The Greek Empire. In the Greek Empire, the way it was is similar to the, to Israel today. All the men had to serve in the military, and they became hoplites. They had to do a mandatory service of two years. Everybody gets military training but there was this one area in greece that decided two years was not enough and instead they would commit to military training for their entire life and these folks man of all the greek warriors these were the very best when they marched across the field of battle nobody could stand in their way they had mastered the flanks and whatever came in front of them be it a furry little animal or whatever was trampled under the feet of the Spartans. Exactly right. I think we have a picture of that. Spartans. <laughs> One more. There we go. So, if, I don't know. That was, that was supposed to be a joke. It went flat, obviously. It totally went flat. I'm sorry for that. I was trying to rub it in a little bit, but it's true. The best, the, the first people who were really, really good at this really were the Spartans. That was the Macklin Field thing earlier if it was too early yeah anyways furry little brown animal that runs across the field and gets trampled by the Spartans okay all right man I'm gonna have to clean that up for the next one there is no doubt that was not working man it was really funny in my head this week as I'm sitting there you're like man this is gonna be great <laughs> those never work all right so the enemy attacks you make Sunday morning priority you want to do life together as a community but the opposition comes the beauty of being in the body of Christ is you're not alone you've got all your buddies with you and when the church is functioning as it should it's very much like a phalanx. listen to these words again standing firm the phalanx. one spirit one mind you all as citizens conduct yourselves get together hold tight hold the line don't break and when you are together like that and the enemy attacks you're good but if you're not if you open up for a second boom he comes right through and the whole thing falls apart you have to live out the purposes of the king and you need to do that together and when you do that, the Apostle Paul says something that was a little hard to understand at 1st They're so like, you're under persecution. You're, you're being attacked. How can, how can this work? But he says, look, as a result, you're not frightened in anything by your opponents. Why? Because you're standing together and you're holding firm. And this is a clear sign to them. When you're marching forward together as one group of their destruction and your salvation and that from God. So you're not feeling fearless? Not feeling brave? What's the matter? Well, you're probably not together enough. You probably opened yourself up. You're not in community. And as a result, something can get in and get you. The summary is this. As servants of the High King, Sermon 1, advance the mission, Sermon 2, and do it together, Sermon 3. Only let your life your manner of life, your citizenship, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving like an athlete, side by side like a phalanx, for the faith of the gospel. Father, you are a good and gracious God. Everything you do, Lord, is perfect in every way. We worship you and thank you and praise you for who you are. Lord, we ask that you would help us to stand together. God, give us those things that only you can give. Forgiveness of sins, patience, peace, hope, strength. And help us to trust you for all those other things that we would ask for. For finances, for relationships, for health. God, we know we'll suffer. We know we'll struggle. But we pray that you would help us to do so loyally and faithfully for you, standing side by side. In Jesus' name, amen.